Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Philip. Now, like all of you, I'm sure, I have a system of reading the Bible every day. Well, it's not actually every day. I do take Fridays and Saturdays off, so I don't actually read the Bible on Fridays and Saturdays. But normally, I I read the Bible every day. And I read a a passage uh, from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament. And actually, I flit about the books as I fancy. Um, I might begin by, normally if I start, I begin begin with Genesis in the Old Testament, and then I read the whole of Genesis, and then I will think, well, what book do I want to read next? And then I'll I'll go to that book, it may be Psalms or whatever it is, and I I read the whole book, but I then flit around the books, and I, I then tick off a book when I've read it. It's always a great moment. You get to the end of the book and you tick it off and you say you've read it. And I read a small passage from the Old Testament and a small passage from the New Testament. If you use the NIV, you get those, you have a little heading at the top and it's about, you know, that much. So I read a little little bit from the New Testament and a little bit from the Old Testament. As I say, and I've got that list of books at the beginning, like in in your Bible, those of you that, you know, you have a list of books. So I tick them off when, I, when, I've, uh, when I've read the book, and I go to the next one. So gradually, over the years, um, you get through the whole Bible, you know, when you, when you do that. Um, and so when you, when you, when, when I, first time I ever got through the New Testament, I, I realized I ticked all the books, and I put a one underneath it, which meant I'd read it through once. And so far in doing this, I've read the New Testament five times, and the Old Testament twice, because the Old Testament, those of you that don't know, is much longer than the New Testament. And I'm right at the end of the Old Testament at the moment, and I'm really looking forward to crossing out that two and writing a three, which means I'll have read through the New Old Testament uh, three times. But the other day, I was reading Zechariah, uh, which, by the way, is the second last book of the Old Testament. What's the last book? Anybody? That's right, Micah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, the last book's Micah. But the second last book is, and I came across this reading that we had today, and it, it just really hit me, the reading. Not the bit about the gold lampstands and the olive trees, but I do notice that those pesky lampstands do keep turning up in the, the Bible. 34 times they're mentioned 
including Exodus, Leviticus, Kings, Numbers, Chronicles, and even famously in Revelation. Willie told me beforehand that they actually represent the chakras. But I didn't know that beforehand. But uh, the lampstands continually turn up. And I, I, from my reading, they represent the light being lifted up uh, to the world. That, you know, echoes of Jesus on the cross, so all that sort of business. But that, the lampstands, all the olive trees, weren't the bit that hit me. The bit that hit me uh, was uh, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And that line was, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And I think that's an amazing text. In this world, where everything is done through strength and effort, where will is primary, and we try to make things happen ourselves, we're told in this passage, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In effect, it's saying that all things happen through that fundamental spiritual DNA, which is behind everything. You can call it what you like, the ground of all being. That fundamental spiritual DNA is what makes things happen. You know, we reinforce the idea every time we say the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and, and the glory. Thy will be done. It stresses the fact that that power comes from somewhere else. The idea that what moves and shakes the world is not our machinations, our politics, our manipulation, but a higher power that's in control. You know, this may be a very obvious thing to say in the chapel, that there is a God, and that God is in charge of everything, and all we have to do is to give up to that higher power, and things will be okay. But in reality, that isn't the way that we run our lives. We live our lives under the burden that if we, do, if we don't do it, it won't get done. If we don't do it, it won't get done. You know, passing our exams, getting a job, getting elected, making a family, putting a roof over our heads and food on the table, building our lives and providing for the future. I mean, that's the way we do things. That's the way I do things. You know, I have to make sure that things get done in the chapel. You know, to have it so that people show up. So we've got enough money for the heat to come on. And that the service comes together. I came in this morning, quite early I have to say, luckily. And I realized that there was no heat upstairs in the chapel. And I had to make an executive decision. I thought, what are we going to do? And I thought of you all. I thought, you're not going to all sit there shivering upstairs so we had to set up the room down here and you know have it happen and you know we had to make that happen it's a lot of work living is exhausting <laughs> it's also anxiety producing you know what if I don't get things done you know what then but this verse is saying something different not by might nor by power but by my spirit 
And that's where the real leverage is. It says that everything really gets done through that spirit, through that higher power. I love that wonderful verse from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Which really means that unless you do give up to that higher power, that that greater sense of being, unless you're listening for that, everything you do will be of naught because you'll just be building it somewhere else and there's another plan involved. There's the idea that whatever happens, that sense, that purposeness will come through. We are, in effect, being asked to rely on that higher power rather than our own strength. Even Jesus in the New Testament says, by myself I can do nothing. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's the same idea. He's saying that even, even Jesus is saying, look, you know, I, I can't do anything by myself. I have to watch. I have to see what that higher power is doing. And I, I think it's a really life-changing idea that there really is a higher power, and it is there, and that we can rely on it. I think that's completely life-changing. It's very different from sometimes religion is an idealized, fabricated reality that we all have in our heads. You have this ideal as to what it ought to be. You know, we fabricate it, and then we try and live out of that. But the reality of something that we can genuinely rely on when it comes to -to day-to-day living, a higher power, something that can inspire true awe in us, something that, that we can give reverence to, that we can honor, that we can actually give worth to or worship. You know, it may sound like Religion 101, Hey guys, there is a God, and you can rely on God. But there is a difference between that and the actuality of living, the living awe in our lives. To say that we can even understand what that higher power is would be to vastly overestimate our ability to comprehend reality. Which is why, really, the word God is so unhelpful. The baggage that comes with that word is so great that our minds, the moment you mention it, our minds just give up. We give up to thinking, and what we give up to is we we give up to thinking what others have thought in the past, and we rely on that when the word God comes up. We rely on what others have thought, and we go into a sort of basic thinking. You know, if it's not an old man with a beard in the sky, it is at least some sort of very nice chap who has all our best interests at heart. You know, Jesus is up there too, and that makes God feel to us loving and, you know, even a bit cuddly, because Jesus is there. But the thing we we really all know, don't we, is that God is a person. But we don't. All we're doing is making God in our own image, you know. We're just thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm like me and therefore God must be like me up there. You know, and we think of God as, you know, nice Jesus or hard bearded God or whatever it is. You know, it, there's the person bit up there. When in fact, we're specifically told in the Bible that God made us in, in his image. 
and we tend to make God in our image. And there's another problem with God. Why his? How come? You know, sure, kings and emperors tended to be male, so it stands to reason that, you know, God is his. But I think even God as she doesn't work. Or even God as gender inclusive, you know, like our hymn book upstairs. Someone, do you know, the hymn book we use upstairs, someone's gone through and eradicated every single gender reference upstairs, so it doesn't say him or her anywhere upstairs in our hymn book. Who says that God and gender are even relevant concepts to have in the same sentence? I mean, you know, gender, is it, you know, could it be? We, you know, the truth is we have no idea. All we can really say is that there might be something that's holding all of this together. There might be something, some sort of higher power at the root of all that is. And that verse is suggesting not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. And for me, the true purpose and meaning of religion is really testing whether or not there's any truth in that. That's really what we should be doing here in our lives. If we're in, in, we really should be testing whether or not there is any truth in it all. Testing you know, where it does the rubber hit the road in terms of it all. It's really the only question there is. Is there anything out there? That, that is really the only question. Everything else is conjecture. Everything else is made up by people. You know, purgatory, heaven, hell, judgment, salvation, the church, forgiveness, angels, demons, the second coming. I think they're all conjecture based upon what you think after you decide whether or not there's anything out there. It's all conjecture that comes after you decide if there's anything out there. And we are all much too swift to move on from that first question. We want to say, yes, there is something out there. There is the Father, and by the way, Jesus too, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus died for our sins, and unless we're good, the devil, and we go on and on until we've built this idealized, fabricated reality that we then go and try and live in. And then we wonder why it all goes wrong. And the same is true for other religions. You know, that they, you know, in my perspective, they're cultural interpretations of the understanding that there is a higher power and an explanation to what that higher power might be about. And really, they're all just painting by numbers. You know, you just fill it all in. You're told where to fill in the bits, and you just fill it all in. Fill in the blanks with an appropriate color, and you come up with the right picture that's been thought of beforehand. But to admit to the existence of the higher power that we don't understand and simply say, stay with that is, I think, the place we're meant to stand in. And there really is no more. That is why the cloud of unknowing is called the cloud of unknowing. And if you wanted to know the secret of the cloud of unknowing, that's it. That's why the cloud of unknowing 
Because we want to know it all. We want to know where's Jesus? Where's the Holy Spirit? What's with those seven lampstands? You know, all that stuff. We want to fill in all the pictures so we can then bask in the glory of the Sistine Chapel above us and know that we are, have our place in the world. But you know, we're really not meant to know more. That knowledge is, as I say in the, in the Old Testament, too wonderful for us. We are meant to stand in the present moment with that awe-inspiring realization that there is a higher power that we could possibly know about and that this world goes round not by might nor by power but by my spirit, but by the spirit of that higher power. And when we get that, when we get that, we are able to stand in proper relationship to that higher power. And that proper relationship to that higher power, the proper relationship is a relationship of humility. That is the proper relationship. Not of knowledge, not of knowing what it's all about and communicating it to other people or making other people wrong or telling other people what it's about. It's just humility. The outcomes of life are not ours to control. We don't have a clear picture of how things should be. That all we have to offer is our actions done in humility. And then we step back and we allow that higher power to use whatever we've given to the ends that only it can have an idea of. We don't know where it's all going. We don't know what's right, what's meant to be. And that is a truly, I think, revolutionary attitude and I think it's worth taking that attitude up and testing that attitude in our lives. You know, in reality, that's what we do here in the Aspen Chapel. Our aim here is not to get anyone to believe anything. However, we, we do value the wisdom of the ages that's been tested over thousands of years. Scriptures from all traditions that have been used and tested in the lives of those that have gone before us. But now it's our turn to test our lives in the fire of daily life. It's our turn to test those ideas for ourselves. Not just to take on trust what everybody says is the case, but to test it for ourselves in our daily life. And here we're trying to see what could possibly work for us in our lives, for our communities, and for our country, and for our world. What could work? What is an appropriate attitude to live by? How should we conduct ourselves? What can we rely on? Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That was an idea that ended up in Hebrew scripture and that's reflected in the Christian tradition, in Taoism, in Buddhism, in Islam, and in all the great world religions. And we have to see whether or not, you know, whether or not that is true for us today. What does it mean for us today with our internet, you know, with our Russian bots, with our medicine, with our weaponry, with our TVs, our global reach, our transport systems, our rockets and our huge egos? What does that mean for us? Is there any place for this? 
or are we really just left to fight over how to behave in the modern world? Because that's what we're all doing. We're just fighting over how to behave. What is the right way to behave in the modern world? My democracy is better than your democracy. My morality is better than your morality. This is the way it ought to be. What is right or wrong? That's what we fight over. How this way is better than that way. How we have to get on so that the economy can boom and all will be right with our family. To really to consider the existence of a higher power is in fact to give up. Later on in Zechariah, it says, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the alien or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And in Micah, the last book of the Old Testament, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? All the traits of religion. All the normal stuff. You know, I'll go to church, I'll take communion, I'll be a good person. And then it goes on. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. As the Tao Te Ching says, to do your work, then step back. That is the path to serenity. So we are asked not to worry about our lives, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will not he much more clothe ye, O you of little faith? The understanding that there is a higher power leads to the understanding that not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Our lives are then about acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. Or again, as the Tao Te Ching says, do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? The master does not seek fulfillment, not seeking nor expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. That is the relationship that we're exploring with that idea of a higher power. Our focus is on walking humbly. You know, we don't have the answers. We just have our hands and our feet to act with. And when we act... When we've done that, we then step back and just see what's next. We rely on the fact that there is an immeasurably greater wisdom that's holding everything together. And there's a greater wisdom in the boiler room that has just come out. <laughs> I want to say, not by power will the boiler work, or by might, but by my spirit. I should just go and pray on the boiler. That'll sort it out. Michael just doesn't understand these things.
And that by resting in that wisdom, we find, by resting in that wisdom, the wisdom of not knowing, by resting in that wisdom, we find the peace that passes all understanding. By resting in that wisdom, we find the peace that passes all understanding. It's an immeasurably greater wisdom, the acknowledgement of that, that we offer our lives as living sacrifices to that higher power, that we offer our small piece to the puzzle. Our lives are one small piece to the puzzle. And by doing so, we allow that piece to be used as part of the overall plan. And what that plan is, we can never understand. We won't understand it. That is why it's important to walk humbly. And as I said, our role is to explore this truth for our generation. Does it work for us? Does it work for those around us? And test whether it works or not. The test of whether it works or not is simple. The test of whether it works or not is not our bank balance. It's not our medical records. It is not even the happiness of our friends and family or the prosperity of our nation. It comes in whether or not we are experiencing the peace that passes all understanding. That is always the great test. If you're wondering whether or not, you know, it's working, are you experiencing that peace that passes all understanding? A deep peace, despite all the circumstances that we live through, despite the problems of our health, our wealth, our heating, our politics, our world, the existence of that peace speaks of that higher power. In fact, I would argue that it is proof that there is a higher power. Our experience of that peace in the face of difficulty is an objective proof that there is something that enables us to realize not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, and to rest in it. And for us to live by that, we do have to rest in it. When we feel that anxiety, we have to drop down into our hearts and rest. When we are upset, we see that. We rest in that spirit. It is the way that we navigate. It's by seeking that peace. And, you know, if you're not seeking that peace, you will get everything else but that peace. You'll get the money. You'll get the prosperity. But what all of us are seeking in this world is that peace that passes understanding, is that fundamental deep peace. And it is by recognizing, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Now, over the next week, next week, we're going to start Advent Sunday. We're going to go into the season of Advent where we look for the light in the darkness. We wait for the appearance of Christ in our lives. The acknowledgement of that higher power is the beginning of that process. You cannot really go into it without acknowledging that higher power and having the humility to not know. And if we can go into Christmas not knowing, it's an amazing thing because Christmas is so known. Everything about it, the carols, the story, it's all known. I, you know, you could even know what's going to happen on Christmas Day. I could map out what is going to happen. We just know it, just walk through it every year. 
and there's good bits and there's magic and there's stuff like that. But what about if we walk through it with humility, with a not knowingness? And so that's what we're going to go into uh, next week when we have our Advent Sunday. So let's pray. We do look out onto our world and we just see people struggling all over the place with everything. And the one thing they don't experience is that peace that passes all understanding. And we do pray that you will give that sense of desire for that peace in people's hearts. That they will be able to have the humility to give up to that higher power. To know that we still have to do things to keep things going, but fundamentally... Our job is then to step back and allow that higher power to come in. We pray for our leaders. They may have humility. Pray for all those who are in situations where they are enabling other people around them uh, to be doing things. Leaders in all walks of life, from politics to business, that they may have that sense of peace in their lives. And we pray for all those people that don't have that. People who are in prisons, in war zones, in conflict areas. People suffering, subject to unjust situations. Particularly people, we think of all those who are homeless or who don't have homes, wandering streets trying to find peace. Particularly pray for all those affected by the fires in California and weather events everywhere around the world. And here at home, we pray for those on the mountain today, all the mountains up and down the valley. Pray for those working, ski patrol, working the lifts, visitors. Pray for safety in those situations. We pray for those who are not well at the moment. We pray for Vern Vanessi, who's uh, Shelley Franklin's stepdad, who's just come out of hospital, intensive care. Pray for Lucy Crichton, Virginia Newton's mum. Martha Martin. Also continue praying for Sophie Lathan, her four-year-old who's now in remission from cancer. And pray for Kathy Markle and her family on the death of her mother and the family of Glenn Jethers, who died on um, November the 4th. Pray also for David Floria today, who's at his sister's memorial uh, today. Pray that we may be appropriate to all situations we come to through that sense of humility. Amen. <laughs>